All right, well, I'm ready to get started when you guys are. You can just cut the small talk. Actually, you know what? How's, how's everyone doing? It's been a nope, crazy... Nope, no small talk. I'm back to small talk. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm ready to go. No small talk. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a drill. Time to drill for that oil. Come on, Darren. We need to come up with some material, you know, for before the podcast. <laughs> not, none. We're just going to launch right in. Hello, and welcome to the Amped About Movies podcast. I'm David, and today Colin, Andrew, Hunter, Chad, and I will discuss the 2007 epic period drama There Will Be Blood, which is currently available on Netflix. This movie was written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson with writing credits to Upton Sinclair, and stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Dano, and Kieran Hines. A quick plot synopsis for the uninitiated. A story of family, religion, hatred, oil, and madness, focusing on a turn-of-the-century prospector in the early days of the business. There will be spoilers in this podcast, so we highly recommend you watch the movie before listening. Next week, we'll be watching Million Dollar Baby, which is currently available on Netflix. Finally, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to all our listeners in Dallas, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in, and we hope you enjoy. Now, I'll hand it off to Colin. What did you think about this film? Thanks, David. I also like how you did the shout out to Dallas, which is an oil town. Yeah. Yeah. Did you plan that? I'm guessing you just kind of. Sure did. Yeah. Everything's coming together. <laughs> um, I love this movie. This is what I feel like Citizen Kane should have been. This movie's metal is all hell, but it's so engrossing. I loved it. I know Hunter was talking beforehand how he, the score gave him anxiety. It kept me completely rooted in the story, and Daniel Day's Daniel Day Lewis's performance is absolutely incredible. I just the scene when the Derek goes up, when the first uh, when they first strike oil in is it Little Boston or New Boston? I can't remember. But when that first happens, right when his son like mm-hmm. loses his hearing and it lights on fire, that sequence of events had my jaw on the floor, and any. I, I just like this the sequencing of this movie. Like it, it shows his growth from like being by himself in the hills digging for silver and like nearly killing himself. Yeah. But like slowly growing and you can see his entire growth throughout. And it just culminates with, you know, I drink your milkshake scene, which is iconic. But it, honestly, at that point, it seemed like it's it had such a groundswell throughout the movie that like I knew that line was coming up and it was great. Don't get me wrong. Like there's a reason why people remember it, but it's everything else about the movie I loved. I I, I adore this movie. This is the first time I saw it. And I'm not normally a big like westerny period piece type guy, which I don't really think this movie necessarily fits into. I think it's coming into more like the dying of the west and the obviously throughout the movie encompassing the birth of the oil industry, which is so unique. Um, mm-hmm. And how it impacts Daniel Day Lewis's character, and I think it's it's very American in its scope and its theming, and I thought it was very interesting yeah. uh, about one man's pursuit of power and wealth, and very abundantly not caring about how it impacts other people. And I, <laughs> it's the the way they treat death in this movie is just no nonchalant. It's just like something he has to tick off a box where he's like oh we lost somebody oh their derrick's on fire oh that's a good thing let's just blow it up and then keep drilling okay Mm -hmm. and i 
I don't know. I, I really enjoy this film. I, I would watch it again right now. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys think too. Sweet. Yeah, no, that's a really good point about that one scene. Um, I think that ties in really well to just the whole overall cinematic way this movie was made. I think that there's so many long, drawn-out shots, and then that scene comes in, and it's just like, it's actually one of the most quick-paced, dynamic scenes in the whole movie. And whenever they do that, after they they have these really long, like, solo shots that kind of just follow the characters or sit there in silence to have that like really dynamic bombastic scene was really fun. All right. Well, we'll hand it over to Chad next. What did you think about this movie? I wholly echo everything that Colin said. I really enjoyed this. The first time I saw this movie was back in college. I watched it as part of a Gilded Age America class that I took. Did not appreciate the, the film nearly enough when I watched it for the first time. Mm-hmm. But watching it this time, I I feel like I truly appreciated that every single thing that they did or tried to do in this film, I felt like it worked. And I think that's really difficult to do, and I applaud them for it. Because just watching this, I know we were talking about the soundtrack a little bit, but the soundtrack works amazingly. The way that the characters are written and the dialogue is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. The shots are great. The cinematography is fantastic. The pacing is good. For a movie that's almost three hours long, it's engaging. It keeps you interested in what you're watching. I really I really enjoyed watching it the second time. I thought it was done really, really well. And what stood out to me watching it the second time is what a force that Daniel Day-Lewis is as an actor and how commanding he is of the screen and of everything that is going on throughout the entire film. It is so difficult in my mind to create a film this long where pretty much everything is dialogue. Uh, there is very little, in my mind, action or, or, or plot points that happen throughout the film. Almost everything is is dialogue driven or dialogue based and there's a few moments where where things happen like the the fire scene or um i mean the the couple of murders but i think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of scenes of just conversations and and that drives the plot and i i really liked that it was engaging the entire time without being over the top or um relying on anything other than strongly written characters and a a well-developed plot to drive the film. So I liked it. I thought it was a great encapsulation of a character and of what American expansionism and the oil industry and individualism can do to a person and that character development, that arc. And I, again, echo Colin and say that I would, I would watch it again. I'd watch this again over the next couple of weeks, just because it was so much better than I remember it. And I think, it would hold up well over multiple viewings and probably get better over multiple viewings as you notice more and more things. Nice. Well put. I think it's really interesting that you talk about dialogue in this film and how the dialogue is what motivates and pushes the plot along. Because to me, this movie is so much about not dialogue. It's so much about what isn't said as about what is said, because there's so many scenes in this movie where it just is so confident in its 
cinematography and the music that it just sits there with no dialogue. And that was a lot of the scenes that left an impact on me, like the scene where he's in the train with his son. And and I feel like a lot of this works well because they have a deaf character. So the deaf character wouldn't hear anything anyway, but they just had these silence and he's just kind of sitting there looking around there. There's just, they created this perfect ambiance, um, which really kind of puts you over the edge when he just gets up and leaves and you're like, Oh my God, you know, and that has like very little dialogue, if not any. Um, and that's just one of the scenes where that's the case where like when him, when he, when the son HW lights the fire, there's, almost no dialogue in that entire sequence. And uh, I don't know. I just thought, I think it's an interesting point. I, I was going to bring up as one of my favorite things about the film is how many times he goes through his, I'm just an oil man speech and how we hear that (laughs) in different situations, the same speech over and over. I've traveled halfway across the state to be here with you people today. And it's the subcontext of the dialogue that really clues you into who this guy is and what he's at, what he's like in his core. But then you get to a scene like that where it's equally, if not more, revealing that he just abandons his son on the train. Yeah. I feel yeah, like I mean, this oh, sorry, movie. Go. Sorry, David. I was going to say, this movie, I feel like, is this just set up and pay off of a bunch of really well constructed, well constructed Chekhov's guns. Yeah. Like everything they bring up comes back later on. Like it's another thing he has to do. And I think it's, I like his character because. I don't, I don't know if you the, the word like I should look up to him is correct, but the way he kind of goes about his business and his life is like, OK, point A, point B, like, let's just deal with things until I get to the next thing. And that's kind of like how he goes throughout this movie. And it's like I said earlier, it's so funny to me when like his whole oil derrick lights into flames violently and all this stuff has to happen. He's like, all right, cool. Let's just do it. What's next? Or he's like drunk on the floor and uh, his second mate or whatever his right hand man comes in he's like oh we lost somebody and they're like oh what happened okay let's get his stuff let's figure this out next like let's keep moving i i (laughs) I think that just that's so interesting as a character on just how motivated he is to achieve his goals yeah he's definitely not a good person but i i think he's incredibly interesting i i agree and i think that what's really interesting to me is the gilded age which is the first thing I thought of when I saw ni- or 1898 like flash up on the screen. Because I feel like that's one of those eras of history that's not really taught very well or there's not much taught about it. Like I remember, you know, we're, we spend so much time on the Civil War and the post-Civil War reconstruction. And then it's just kind of like, and then this Gilded Age, you know what the word Gilded means? And then you learn it like that for like one day and then it's like, oh, and then World War One. It's like, whoa, okay. Like there was this like 20 year period of time that we learned almost nothing about. Right. Or the, um, like the idea of standard oil about how insane that is. And the, the fact that's like a very present, uh, like looming force without this movie. And he's just trying to one over. Yeah. Uh, standard oil. <laughs> yeah. They own the entire country. Yeah. And he's like, well, don't you own the railroads? And they like blank at each other. And he's like, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's just trying to do it to spite them. I, I love that part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to what you said, Chad, about his speech being so kind of pivotal, there's the first like 15 minutes of this movie are complete dialogue free. It's just like the story of how he got to be where he is. And and as it was coming to an end, I was thinking to myself, like, what are they going to do to break this silence? How are they going to start there being dialogue in this movie? 
And I don't think they could have done a better way than having him walk right into that speech and cutting to like eight years later. Now he's got, you know, his boy and he's just a humble man trying to make his way in the world. You know, I, I mean, I thought I thought that was so well done. All right. Well, I don't want to keep talking too long. Let's hand it over to Beard. What did you think about this film? So <clears throat> I'm not even the last person to go, but I'm going to take on the Chad role here. Like, <laughs> Man, you guys all laid out fantastic points that I completely agree with. <laughs> um, and yeah, like half of the things you said, like were all things like I was re- writing, like um, like David, you just said a moment ago, like first dialogue like, was 15 minutes in. I was, I was going to mention that as well. And you guys just like took care of it beautifully. Um, and, but, and I think like, it's interesting too, cause you, I, I think you guys are both right. Like Chad was correct in that, like there were very pivotal parts that were progressed through dialogue, but you're right too, David, where like there were so many other scenes where they were able to progress the story without dialogue and, and both were perfect. And that's, you know, that that's kind of in a sense why this movie is so great because like they can kind of do everything and, and they're able to tell the story in lots of different ways. Um, and, and it's all fantastic. And, and I agreed with, with what you said too, David, about how, like, just in general, beyond the scope of this movie, like, I, <laughs> as more and more years pass since I took APUS history, like, the more interested I am about the Gilded Age and how I feel like that was undertaught in school, or maybe not undertaught, because there's just like so many details you could delve into in American history, but yeah. it is a really interesting period for sure. Yeah. And, Somebody else was talking about Dino Davis. I think it was Chad. Um, yeah, totally agree with that. Like nobody else could have played this role like he like he did. He he was just like an absolutely commanding presence, um, and that was outstanding. And Colin, you made a great point about relating this to Citizen Kane, saying this is what Citizen Kane should have been. Um, and like, yeah, I kind of I kind of I kind of uh, agree with that. Like in a sense, it was more enjoyable for sure, and it was like grittier and kind of like more captivating in a sense. Assistant Kane, um, like a lot of times, I kind of think these old movies are kind of like uh, subdued because, like, they just didn't have R-rated stuff back then. But like in this movie, you, I mean, it was like you saw his downfall hard. Like he was in mm-hmm. a, he was like in bad shape um, by the end, like in the twenties or whatever in that last um, time segment. Um, and it's like that and like the murders and like the oil scene and everything is just like such a big production that like you just, it, it's really, um, like when you compare this with Citizen Kane, you just like see how far movies have come and how like high the bar has been raised since then. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really astonishing. Um, other than that, it was just all around great. Like when I was going through my ratings, you know, and I'll talk about it more later, but like, I gave nothing a bad score here. Um, the dialogue was fantastic. The story was really engaging. I agree with Chad. The pacing was good. Um, that whole oil scene with the Derek um, blowing up, like, I, I mean, I, I like wrote the most notes about that scene. I, I want to like delve into that later because I think there was a lot of great stuff going on there, um, especially with the cinematography. Um, so overall, I'm, I'm really glad we watched this movie. This was fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that you guys are bringing up Citizen Kane. I mean, I think that's a really apt comparison. Interestingly enough, this movie was based on a story written by Upton Sinclair. And if you recall from Mank, we know that Upton Sinclair was running 
for president or for like governor governor of California or something like that. I'm not sure the exact position, but he was running for like a government position. He was like that was one of the big things that was going on in Hollywood during the time when Citizen Kane was being written. And that is one of the things that was going into the whole melting pot of who Citizen Kane became. So like Upton Sinclair being the Democrat and kind of covering this from that angle, the the kind of gritty, gruesome angle that's not typically, you know, known as it's it's like the opposite of gilded. Uh, and I think that I think there's something there. I think that's really just an interesting assessment that this is very similar to Citizen Kane. So we can keep talking about that more or we can leave that where it is. But I want to hand it over to Hunter. What did you think about this film? Yeah. So you, you, you both have, have kind of stolen a little bit now, you know, beard, you, you took the chat vine. So now I'm placed in this awkward spot and, and Dave, you just took one of my fun facts. And so I, I'm oh, struggling with, with, with <laughs> what to do here. So, you know, I'll, I'll start off by saying that Paul Thomas Anderson actually wrote uh, the character of Daniel Playview with Daniel Day-Lewis in mind to play the role. Oh, by so the way, start. Daniel Day-Lewis played Daniel Plainview. And yes. Paul Paul Dano played Paul Sunday. Oh, that actually is really good. Like Paul, the older <laughs> brother of Eli. That's That was played by Paul. So I just thought, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> also, I saw that originally Eli was... Uh, slated to be played by someone else. This might be also stealing one of Hunter's fun facts. Uh, but the for whatever reason, the director didn't like the original casting for Eli. So they had Paul Dano just step in and then they just rewrote it a bit to have him be twin brothers. But like a week beforehand, they were like, yeah, just do it. Figure it out. Crazy. All right, Hunter. Keep. We'll, we'll stop. We'll stop. Keep going. Oh, all right. All right. Uh where to go? Well, uh, you know, similar to you all, uh, I thought this movie was incredibly gripping um, from the character development side. And uh, I'm going to touch on more of the cinematography and, and the sound, which wasn't covered as much. So I'm going to I'm going to go that route. I think that from a sound design perspective, this movie was a class masterclass. It was incredible. Um, from the, as I mentioned, the opening scene, when you hear that, that swell of the, of the violin strings and it immediately, at least for me, set me on edge and I said, okay, we're in for something. And then the music that you hear when HW first is thrown back and, and becomes deaf and, um, Daniel Preview is carrying him to the, to the shed and you hear this really weird, percussion instrument it sounds like these wooden percussion instruments that are slamming together and it really sets you off and it continues throughout that scene and just adds a lot of unease to an already um, uneasy scene to watch and i just thought that the music did so much to add to the emotion of the film and really puts you in the right emotional spot to understand the character development to feel for the multiple characters in the story and, and to give a lot of resolution as to the actions that were going on. And then from a cinematography perspective, I thought it was great. These, I mean, the shot when 
when the oil catches on fire and it's shooting up. And then you have uh, Daniel Day-Lewis just sitting there. And as it, as the day goes from sundown to night, the light is just shining over his face. Fantastic. Amazing. Or when the fire first start, or when the fire still is going on and it's in the middle of the day and he's sitting there and then he pushes, he puts both hands forward, pointing in the direction to put the fire out for uh, the two rows of men to go and put the dynamite in there. I just thought that that was just so, so, so well crafted and really did a lot to add to the atmosphere of this just Western piece. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And then the last piece I want to touch on is going back to what I said just earlier is the use of fire I thought was great. You see fire pop up quite a bit with um, A, the oil rig lighting on fire, but B, when Daniel Playview is first telling HW about uh, how they're going to buy the farm from the Sundays and they're discussing and he says, I'm going to give them quail prices. I'm not going to give them oil prices. And and they're both lit by the flames. And then when Daniel Playview is talking to his supposed brother, who isn't his brother, spoiler alert, uh, again, when, when he talks to him the first time, they're illuminated by fire. And when he talks to him right before he kills him, they're again sitting in front of the fire. And I, I just really enjoyed uh, the use of fire and, and some of its meaning, which I, I looked into. I thought that that was very, very well done. So I hope that that added a little different piece to uh, a little spice to the whole conversation. But I definitely enjoyed this movie. And I'm with you. This is one that I feel I need to go back and watch because I don't think I got everything the first time. And uh, I knew nothing about this movie going in, except it was Daniel Day-Lewis, and it was regarded as one of the best movies of 2007. That was it. I had no clue about the last scene. I had never heard that last line before. So this was a total experience to go in for the first time, not knowing basically anything about this movie and watch it. So uh, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I'm really glad that you kind of broke down that... that uh geyser scene with the Derek because I like I like I mentioned this a moment ago that was that was my favorite scene in the whole movie and I agreed like the the color palette when it was dusk was was just beautiful and I, I love that and and they really like used every element of filmmaking in that scene right like there were like the sound was spot on because it was like deafened because that's when HW was literally deafened um and so I thought that was really good and, and you're right like they kind of like showed the passing time and like or even just like the theatrics of the whole like rig on fire was just really cool. Um, and, and I, and then there was like, I thought there was like a little bit of symbolism in there too, where like there's like, I think it's that same shot at dusk um, where Daniel's covered in oil and like the guy next to him is not. And I'm like, ah, symbolism. He's got that dirty oil on him. And it's like, his, blood. his path just went like much darker from then on. Well, yeah, yeah, that exact thing. I kind of took that as he'd been standing there the whole time. Uh, and and I, I saw this from a couple from a bit of my research in a YouTube video, and they thought that as well, that uh, the reason why he's covered is he hadn't left. He was so engulfed with with what the oil that he just struck and everything. I mean, you can also see how obsessed he is when I'm blanking on the, his right hand man's name. Asks, "How's your son?" And he's like, "He's not okay." 
but he sits there looking at the oil and that's when it turns to dust. They say that when it turns to dust and he's illuminated by the flame and that that just was such a very dark, very dark sentence to utter. And I think that that's when you really started to see the character turn. As you mentioned, Andrew, I think that is when, boom, that is when that shift happened. And that is when the downfall of Daniel Plainview begins. See, I didn't recognize this until after the film and I like did some kind of research of my own. But I, I, I didn't realize while I was watching it that H.W. is not his actual son. I thought that he, you know, had just kind of had the son at some point with some woman and she had died in childbirth, like he said. But no, that was a complete lie. That was the child of the dude who died at the first I, oil well. So you didn't pick up on that? No, I just I didn't oh, realize. I, I saw that coming from like a mile away. Like the guy was holding what who was end up being H.W. And I was like. Oh, that guy's definitely gonna die. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> See, I, I love any of the scenes like in the actual well. It, I love. I don't know why. I think it's because it's so nonchalant about the deaths in this movie. Yeah. And like, it's so matter of fact. I, it's, I don't know. It's crazy to me. And like the dynamic between uh, him and his son throughout the movie is just so interesting because you're gonna, you kind of have to guess to see if. Like, does he actually love him or is it is he using him as a pawn? Because it yeah. is interesting that he like he did say at the end, he's like, oh, I just needed a cute face to buy land. But like, right. I think it was like right at the end scene when he's beating up Eli with the bowling pin, like he thinks about his son and like him, like wrestling him and stuff. So, like, I think he does have positive feelings towards him. And I I, I think he just couldn't bring himself to like work like work through that and like put his yeah. family above his work which i think is very interesting yeah yeah i think he's got a lot of complex emotional issues i mean the fact that he tells the oil dude i'm going to come to your house and i'm going to slit your throat <laughs> you know like he's just like what the heck is wrong with you man like well, i, think no, I thought the oil dude he's... was really funny in comparison the way they played oh, off yeah. each other he's like a very normal business guy <laughs> yeah he's like, like, hey, from, man, like, like today I I mean, I think it just shows how his insecurity and the fact that he does really want to love his kid that he just doesn't Mm -hmm. know what he's doing with it. Yeah. He probably goes about raising his son like he's running an oil business, which you can't do. Yeah. (laughs) So that's why he's so insecure. That's why, like, in that scene when they're in the tavern and he's like, comes over, he's like, do you see that boy? You see that boy over there that you talked about? Like, is he (laughs) like, can't you tell that he's being raised well? Yeah. I yeah, I, I I think it's really interesting for sure. No, I do too. And see, the thing is, that's what I'm saying. I didn't recognize because of the way he acted so loving in a way that oh, yeah. for for him was loving. Right. In many of the situations, like he tried to take care of his son, he tried to, you know, dose him with alcohol so he could sleep. I I, I that was like honestly, as a side note, one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Like just alcohol in milk, oh, and he I just had to chug the whole glass. Like, because I was right after he went deaf, and I was like, is he trying to kill his kid? I thought he was, like, putting, oh. like, turpentine or something <laughs> in it. I thought he was just trying to get him to go to sleep, but I thought, which is why he then went out and talked to his friend or his half-brother. But, like, again, without putting that together at the very beginning, that it was not his son, I was under the impression that he loved him the entire time. And at the very end, when he turns on him and says, bastard in a basket, you know, like, he's 
calling after him, which also in the same way was very funny to me because of the fact that he's deaf and can't hear him yelling. So it's like, you're just defeating yourself at this point. Like you're not making a point to anybody because he can't hear you. I don't know. I just, I agree with you though. Like, I think he does love his son and it's, it makes him an even more complex character. But yeah. There's... So, so one thing I wanted to, and I know we're jumping around a bit, but I wanted to go back to that starting scene. want specifically two things. One, I love that when you saw Daniel Plainview get injured at the start, he had a messed up back the rest of the movie. I thought that that was a very interesting detail. How And while I was watching it, I constantly went back and forth and I was questioning myself. I said, am I crazy or does he look like he's hunching over? And when he was walking with his son across the field i saw him hunch over and then i'm like boom okay he totally has that because of the accident that he had at the start and i thought that that was just a fantastic very subtle detail that just made his character showing the grit and showing his determination and that after he went through that accident and he found the silver he kind of kept like a battle scar and it's kind of reflective of where he came from and i thought that that was just a really cool detail that was that was made for the character yeah yeah hunter i love two things about that one i love that he leans into that injury and continues to make that a part of the character because you can see that it gets even worse in the final scene in the 1900s where he is completely hunched over and you can see that he is very very unwell physically second thing i love about that is after he is injured the first thing he still does is goes and looks at the silver and make sure that he's like getting get got the money that it is the ore that he's going to get paid before he, he does anything like am i going to be able to get out of here like how injured am i he was like i'm at the bottom i'll guess i'll I'll check and see if i struck gold like yeah i, I think those like what a great storytelling device to tell you exactly what this character cares about more than anything in the world even his own personal safety and health and well-being yeah <laughs> that's part of why i was so surprised when he had a kid i was like man this guy's like I, I he's actually being a father. I, I kind of I'm torn on how to feel about this man now. So now I'm coming so, back. So going so going then to the end when Daniel Plainview was saying that he was an orphan, that he's not his real father. What were you thinking during that scene? I was as shocked as his son. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I thought I guess I was I was kind of shocked. I was like, really? Like you treat. You you did treat him like your own son. I mean, I also that kind of helped me rationalize why he would send him away to an orphanage or whatever he did. Like that was really cold. And and then the way when he comes back, again they have that wide angle camera shot, which I'm I'm stealing this from a YouTube video, but they kind of that can imply that he's doing this for show. Like he's taking his son back for show after he just apologized at the church. So now everyone kind of knows about his business. He's got to now take the son back and kind of pretend to be a good father again. So I did think it was really interesting how, like, I I was wondering myself, like, how does a movie like this end? How, How does this story close? And the way it just completely unraveled at the very end, like, it just kind of, it goes from being like 1911 
to all of a sudden it's like 14 years later he's all hunched over he he's made it he's super rich he's got a bowling alley in his house his son's fine went off and married someone and is going to start his own oil business which i think we should touch on the idea of being baptized into the oil business in a, in a second but just the way that it goes completely off the rails in that fine in the final couple scenes i don't know i didn't i didn't see that coming what about you guys so i real quick that must have been like one of the best non-reveals in a movie ever like having your jaw dropped that he was an orphan that must have been just <laughs> that, i'm serious that must have been an incredible non-intended reveal that, that, <laughs> like going through this whole experience and seeing that and then dealing with the end that is because <laughs> that's just like one shock after another yeah uh, i think that's super cool um yeah, yeah i thought you know i wasn't I was expecting something very crazy at the end when Paul did show up. I was expecting something crazy. I did not expect for Daniel Plainview to actually murder him. I expected him to kind of degrade him and bring him down to his worst, similar to what he did before he killed him with making him admit that he was a false prophet and essentially getting his getting his revenge for what Paul made him do uh, when he was baptized. Mm-hmm. And I expected him to kind of just tear him down so that he had nothing left and that he 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 just felt like he was at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom and then kind of just leave him there. I didn't expect him to actually kill him. Yeah, I didn't expect that either. Yeah, neither did I. Um, I was... Like, I guess I'm not sure if I should say I, I was surprised, but I I definitely didn't expect it. Um, by the way, I actually was surprised when I found out that H.W. was not his real son, because like you, David, I did not catch that earlier in the movie either. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you on that. All but, right, good. I don't feel so alone anymore. <laughs> Unlike H.W. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I've thought about the ending a lot. In like the couple days since I've seen it, I even went and read like three articles or something breaking down the ending and like, you know, what does it mean? Like, what does he say? Like, what does he mean when he says, I'm finished? Like, what does he say? What does he mean when he says, like, I'm the prophet or whatever? Um, I mean, like, you, you could microanalyze like every word of that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I even read, but didn't pick up myself that like apparently Daniel hesitated um, when he's got Eli pinned on the floor, like and he's like about to you know bludgeon him with the bowling pin, um, but he just like goes ahead anyway. Um, and and yeah, it does kind of make me ponder. It's like, well, you know, he he's already made it. He's not really competing with this with Eli anymore. Like, why does he even need to to kill him? And he's like already like so weak he doesn't have any money he like can't defend himself like what's the point um but yeah i think they were just really driving home like the ruthlessness of his business and uh and 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 just him as a person and how he's just like yeah screw it like i don't like this guy he put me through a lot like he he was always getting in my way outside of payback um And I think it's also important that they set up the whole scene or like, I guess the whole arc with his supposed half brother and like kind of set up the fact that he was like, yeah, he's willing to kill people if he has to. Yeah. And, and so then it kind of like made the whole ending see 
scene with Eli makes sense too. Yeah. And I will say as, as for a movie titled, there will be blood. There wasn't a whole lot of literal blood in this movie. Again, we'll, I think we'll come back to the oil con- connection to blood in a second, but like this was probably one of the bloodiest scenes of the whole movie at the very end. And it, it almost felt fitting to end a movie called There Will Be Blood with Blood. <laughs> I don't know. I do love the title of this movie, especially like in the fact that it's written in like a gothic type. Mm-hmm. It's so old timey and it's like a almost like a promise when you first start the movie and you're waiting for it the entire time. And the fact that there are people that die just kind of nonchalantly, but like you're saying, like it's not very bloody. It's not like gruesome. Yeah. Like this could be a horror movie title and it would fit just fine. Whereas the fact that it's applied to this makes it so much more interesting because you think about it the entire time. You know, like when's, when's something like this going to happen? And eventually, I mean, crescendos in the, the final scene. And like Andrew said, it's so interesting when he's like, oh, I'm finished. And again, it's something just like, oh, something else I had to do today. <laughs> Loop in my bowling alley and beat the shit out of this guy. And now I got stuff to do tomorrow. Yeah. It's interesting that you say it could be like a horror movie because I did see people actually comparing this movie to a horror movie. And I think it actually kind of rings true. If you think about it, the only other movie, well, at least the first movie that comes to my mind when I think of the sound of this movie, aside from Shutter Island, which had a very loud soundtrack, is The Shining. The Shining has like this very like, you know, off putting, very very unnerving soundtrack and it's very similar to this movie and in the shining there's not a whole lot of blood similarly but it's still very off-putting unnerving about someone's descent into madness and in the same way this movie is kind of a telling tale about some this it's it's like you said colin it's about that american ambition and like where does that leave you you know the brother the half brother i can't remember his name he was talking about how you know, he's been through so much stuff. He doesn't really want anything. He doesn't want he doesn't have that ambition anymore. He's kind of like just here for the ride. He just wants to have fun. He's like, what would you do if you had that house? Like, you know, and then Daniel Davis is like, well, I don't know. I don't really care. I just want to make money and triumph over my foes. These people as if he's not one of them anymore. It's a scoreboard to him. He doesn't yeah. care about stuff anymore. Like it was I was reading about it and apparently that. It's like a very telling scene. I might have to rewatch it when he's talking about like, oh, that house growing up. And he's talking about how when he was a kid, like this is the house that he always dreamed to live in. And then his fake brother asked him, like, oh, do you want to live there now? And then I think his response was like, like I'd, I'd be sick or something if I would like yeah. live in there. I forget exactly yeah, what he said. That's, I think that's, that's pretty much what he said. That's when it flipped when he knew like, oh, that, that guy's not my brother. Because he wouldn't be asking me that question if he knew me in that house growing up. And that's kind of how it led to the turn of events. He realized that he was a fraud. Especially yeah. that bar scene where he's like, give me the money. And God, that was so awkward. Like, yeah. I felt like a whole two minutes of him being like, I'd like some money. Give me the money. And then yeah. Daniel's finally like, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And going back to that scene where they're talking on the beach. And we've talked so much about the cinematography of this film. Like that whole scene, the half brother is sitting in shadows and Daniel is sitting in the light. And it's just like there's clearly something different between these two. 
that's shown as well as told. I think it. I think it's really well done. Just in general, this movie did a really good job of showing and not telling. Actually, it did a good job of showing and telling. Yeah. True. I was gonna yeah. say. I- I didn't want to cut you off, David, but is there anything else that Andrew you want to talk about? I know you said you you took some notes. Is there any other concepts you were thinking of? No, actually, I think we pretty much covered it all. Um, one person or another, uh, I think covered it, and yeah, I think I think we really delved into some good details there. Yeah, I think the one other thing I was going to talk about is this thing we've been kind of talking about a little bit here and there: the connection between oil and blood, which I think is pretty it's kind of like hard to miss. There's obviously the part where at the very beginning, HW is baptized metaphorically or not with oil from the first strike before his father dies. And then, you know, throughout the whole film, there are tons of people that are just bathed in oil or like HG or uh, Daniel drags Eli into the oil and like kind of forces him to be baptized in the oil. When he beats the shit out of Eli the first time. (laughs) Doesn't actually kill him, but he's just like slapping him a ton. And yeah. then that whole the rest of the movie is them just slapping each other. Yeah. In in front of public of people. And they're trying yeah. to get back at each other. That's like the whole movie from there is again him being competitive. And he's like, that guy, you know, slapped me in front of his whole congregation. Okay, give me 30 years when I can beat you up in my mansion. Yeah. And it's like it's all of this, you know, kind of jousting for position. Like even from the beginning when he when Eli comes to him and says, yeah, just say my name in front of all these people and have me come up and give the blessing. Kind of say my name in front of everybody. He says it like twice or three times. And then he just doesn't. He just blesses it himself. Well, doesn't he say like, oh, my speech is going to be like bless the hills and the people and, uh, you know, and bless the Derek. And then Daniel's character says his line for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then like he's like, run along, Mary. We're naming it after her. Yeah, and that like names it after his his sister, and that like yeah. makes the kid run. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah, the whole movie is just like a pissing contest between the two, and it's like not even close. Like exactly. Daniel's character is always at least one step ahead of Eli the entire time, especially in the end when it culminates, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's the the one plot that's not drilled. Like, I want a hundred thousand dollars, and of course the five thousand that you owe me with interest, of course." And Daniel's character is like, "Of course." And then, like, he makes him say that he's a false prophet the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Which I think he did actually. I'm I'm confused on that point because I thought he did give him the five thousand dollars, and that was what he used to travel and like leave the town. Because like you know, right before that kind of denouement of the story, you know, you see Eli talking to people about how he's going to go leave and preach elsewhere. It's like I thought that he was using the five thousand that he got to go do that and that was part of why daniel saw him as a false prophet because daniel saw through him he realized that he wasn't really in it for god he was in it for you know the money and going to make a name for himself and be famous kind of the egotism of it of being the preacher i don't know it's like i didn't really like either of them at the end of the day because they both did terrible things and (laughs) The fact that if if one of them represents like fake religion and one of them represents like just absolute drive over caring about anyone else, <laughs> that clash just leaves them both bloody on the floor and no one's really better off for it. Well, you know, that's kind of interesting, David, because one of the things I was reading was 
um, that 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 clash you're talking about between religious fervor and, and like I don't know corporate greed that mm-hmm. was that was supposed to represent like the 18th or no, sorry the 19th and 20th centuries in the United States right mm. um, and that's and they were like they were explaining that it was like an intentional choice to make the beginning of the movie in the 19th century even by like two years right yeah and yeah. so and and how like things were changed in the united states and like it ends and and that's like i guess you could say symbolically that's why daniel had to kill eli because it was that was just like the final blow of like you know like religious fervor is like done in the united states at least the way it was in the in the 19th century so i think it's a great point yeah yeah and isn't it interesting that yeah absolutely and 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 isn't it interesting too that like (laughs) in this time when when there was like intense competition for oil, actually maybe not intense competition because like there were monopolies in oil, but yeah, there were like um, three companies, <laughs> but, but like, wouldn't you, I mean, since, since Daniel was not standard oil, like wouldn't somebody naively think, Oh, his greatest threat to his business would be another oil company, but it wasn't, it was like this, you know, this preacher. Right. I, I think that's mm-hmm. interesting. An interesting plot choice. Yeah. I think, I think it's also really interesting going back to the whole baptism idea that baptized in oil, H.W. did eventually go on to want to start his own oil company, even after seeing how his father treated people and treated him. The fact that oil was so prevalent back then, it was like what everyone seen, at least as far as this movie would have you think. It's like how everyone was thinking and acting. Everyone was like, oh, I'm going to start my own oil business or go find one to work for. Like that's. Literally all that people were doing in California in the early 1900s, as far as this movie would have you believe. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I said, not really, I never really questioned why HW wanted to also go into oil. Um, I guess I figured maybe it was just because it's like what he knew um, and thought he could mm-hmm. be successful with it. But yeah, that's that is interesting. You you could like definitely make the case that he would be like uh, dissuaded from that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think there's definitely like a lot that this movie leaves you with after watching it. You're just sitting there kind of pondering to yourself. It doesn't fully tell you all the answers. It's not clearly trying to make a point similar to citizen Kane in that regard. It's not always so obvious what it's trying to say, but it's definitely saying something. <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't, but like... I've got some fun facts for y'all. Oh, heck yeah, dude. All right. Oh, Chad's not here to hype you up. All right. I, I got know, it. I got I it. I got it. I'll do it for him. All right. We got the fun facts. What is up? What is up? It's your host, H Dog, bringing you the fun facts. All right. So as as we know, I can't even say that Eli and Paul weren't supposed to be twins because, you know, that was taken earlier on. So we're just gonna <laughs> skip through that. Moving on to the next one. Next fun fact: Did you know that the oil Derek Fryer fire the fire that we talked about the big one that happens uh with at the oil um the oil well actually ruined a shot for no country for old men so both no mm-hmm. country for old men and there will be blood were filming in the same location and therefore when that stunt happened in there will be blood and uh for the old oil derrick fire scene uh, the smoke billowed 
the smoke billowed from the flames and actually filled the background shot of the Coen Brothers movie, and it ruined the filming day for them. Oh, <laughs> so I trust that. Very cool. Very interesting fact. This movie definitely did give me No Country for Old Men vibes. Like, I I was almost confused as to what film I was watching at the beginning because it looked so similar. So that's that's pretty funny. That's another movie I yeah. want to watch. We should. I would not be upset if we watched that for this uh, podcast. I I, I couldn't remember if we had watched it or not. I remember watching it. I couldn't remember if we watched it for the podcast or not. I would love to watch that again. Totally. Um, moving on. So, uh, a guy by the name of Russell Harvard played the adult H.W. Plainview that we saw at the end of the movie, and he is actually deaf in real life. I thought that was an awesome casting great representation great that they uh decided to go with an adult uh that was actually deaf in real life and pick a deaf actor i thought that that was just great and i wanted to shout that out uh moving on daniel plainview's hat throughout the movie actually reflects his character development so according to the costume designer the hats that plainview wears through the film were chosen to reflect how his character develops when we first see him uh his hat echoes what's currently going on in his life it's a little um it's not a very nice hat it's crumbled it's got some sweat stains on it and as he progresses through the film he gets a nicer hat and his of course his attire changes but his hat consistently reflects where he is in life and how his character develops and daniel day lewis had a part in picking out which hat uh, he felt best represented his character so i thought that was kind of cool um next I'm sure that you've all seen the photo of Daniel Day-Lewis when he has the oil on his face and it's against the sky. It's the very famous photo, set photo, that circulated of him. Uh, that's not actually him. That's not actually Daniel Day-Lewis. So during the filming, the photographer took a photo of a man who everybody thought was Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> who had the oil on his face and, and uh, the pipe in his mouth. But it turns out, um that that wasn't actually daniel day lewis and the photo got to the press and everybody uh when it was released everybody thought it was him and it ended up just not being him it was actually <laughs> an actor by the name of vince froyo uh, who was one of daniel plainview's top associates toward the end of the movie so it does look was... just like him <laughs> yeah wait that's so weird <laughs> Yeah, I looked at the picture. It looks ju- I like would not be able to tell the difference. That's crazy. If you had just told picture, me that. I'm trying to find it. Yeah, I'll send the pic. At least I'm pretty sure this is it. That's, yeah, that's it. Yep. That's, no, that's yep, Daniel Day-Lewis. Wait, how is that not him? That's definitely Daniel Day-Lewis. No, that's not him. Dude, yeah, it that is. is. That <laughs> is Vince Froyo. <laughs> I don't believe you. Wait, but wasn't that a shot from the movie? <laughs> no. Did it's, you not listen to the set. fun fact? Did you, you know, not listen to what I just photo. said? I, I, I realized it was a set photo during filming. So this is during filming. So Daniel Day-Lewis might have filled in at some point. But that photo right there that you're looking at is not Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of incredulous. I don't know about that. I don't. No way. He has a completely different nose, my guy. I'm looking at him up right now. Wait, how do you spell this guy? Vince... Froyo? B I N C E F O F F R 
O I O. F F O. No F R O I O. That's him. Are there more fun facts, or is that the last one? Oh yeah, sorry. I thought we no. I got more. I thought we were all just kind of taken <laughs> back and investigating that. So uh, another fun fact that the prop oil in the film was actually made from the same substance that is used in McDonald's milkshakes. Oh my gosh! I think That's this is another milkshake. I think this is the picture that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> oh, did I send the wrong one? No. Uh. Yeah, I still kind of looks like him. I I don't think that's that's got to be Daniel Lewis because Colin's right. You just got a blurry picture of him. Yeah, the nose just does not look like this other guy. It looks just like Daniel Day Lewis's nose. Like, and the fact that he has like the same mustache, the same hairstyle, and a pipe. Yeah, you just sent a really bad picture of it. That's definitely Daniel Day Lewis. This is from a thumbnail of a a YouTube video. I was gonna look up. That's definitely Daniel. Oh yeah, that's him. All right, well then my, my my fault. My fault. I misread the fun facts. I'm never going to be able to trust your fun facts ever again. Crushed well, I've got one more. I, I still believe the fun more. fact. I, I, I think you have, you have hey. many a fun facts that outweigh this, this one. There we go. Hey, the fact that the stuff in McDonald's milkshakes, that's basically at the same stuff that's used in the oil in this movie. Poof. Really, we're really drinking. That was, he's really drinking the milkshakes. That dude, was pretty he's going to drink up your milkshake. Here we go. In the final scene of There Will Be Blood, as we saw, Daniel Plainview chases Eli Sunday around, beats him to death. That scene was originally much more violent. So what happened in the original scene and the original script actually was that Plainview beat Eli to death with a tumbler instead of a bowling pin, then threw Eli's corpse into the bowling pins and then into the cellar below. But when everybody was on set to shoot the scene, they felt that the graphic content just was very uneasy and didn't sit right with the film, and so they toned it down so that it could appear in the final cut. But it was originally intended to be much more violent. Hmm. Interesting. Dude... That's crazy. I mean, yeah. I think that that now. I mean, now I'm just thinking about it even more, and just thinking about the fact that he said, "I'm gonna drink up. I drink up your milkshake." Like, it's such a funny thing to say, and the fact that I did not laugh at all while watching it is just so impressive. Like the fact that you know he's he's just being so animated. He's like, now imagine I have. I have a milkshake and you have a milkshake and I'm over here and I have a straw that goes all the way over here. (laughs) It's just like such a hysterical thing to say out of context. But in this context, it's so terrifying and like gripping. It's like, I want to laugh, but I also know what comes next and it's blood. You know, there will be blood. There was in fact blood. And to think and that it was going to be even awesome. more gruesome. Like, damn. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That That's the conclusion. Bump, bump, bump. Yeah, now. Bump, 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 Facts. With Hunter. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. All right. 
All right, do you guys want to head into scores? All right, we'll hand it over to Colin first. What did you rate this movie? Thanks, David. Uh, I was torn on it. I wanted to give it a 10 at first. Kind of feel like I should. I'm going to leave it with like a nine and a quarter, nine and a half maybe. Um, but I'll I ask me about it again later. I might change my mind. Very, it's very later. good. Very, very good. I'm going to leave it that. It's it's later, Colin. What did you later, what did you think about this movie? Yeah, call me tomorrow. I don't know. What I'm talking. <laughs> I just want to know what gave you pause. Uh, mostly because like just... I, ju- I literally like I ended the movie and then flipped on my laptop to talk about it. And <laughs> I feel like if if I think about the movie tomorrow, I think I'll still be like, yeah, this feels good. This is a ten out of ten still. Um, I just feel like it, it hasn't like marinated in my brain long enough like for some of you guys to think it over but i'd love to hear your guys' score and if you have something similar it might reinforce my views all right chad what did you rate this film movie film i tried to say them both at the same time this movie this film this film uh, do we lose chad i think chad's actually been frozen for like 10 minutes hello chad he's doubled my sweet summer chad hello it's your turn. What did you rate this film? Well, I I have no idea if you can hear me, to be honest. <laughs> we can hear you. Hey, okay, I'm back. Um, I did cut out for a little bit there, so I have no idea what the previous rating was, but I rated this film fairly highly across the board. I gave nothing lower than an 8. Lots of 8s and 9s. I gave acting a 10. Um, I did bump it up a few points from when I originally rated this uh, a few years ago. It originally came in at an 83. I have since bumped it up to an 87, which lands it in the top 50 movies on my overall list. Nice. And I think it might earn a couple more points here or there if I watch it more times, because I think it's very interesting. I think there's a lot of things to unpack. I did not do any of the additional readings that it seems like everybody else here did, but maybe if <laughs> I did that, I would find some more things to appreciate about the film. <laughs> very possible. Very possible. All right. Beard, what did you rate this film? Okay, so would you believe that I rated this higher than Chad? I would. Um, oh, okay, you look, well, there you go. With, with that it. Daniel Day-Lewis looking face of yours, I would believe it. You know, I really wanted to give this movie an extra point just for Daniel Day-Lewis's mustache. Like, that is, <laughs> yes! That, that is one of the finest mustaches I think I've ever seen. Um, it doesn't hurt that his face is very chiseled. It is, yeah, he's got a face for it. Anyway. Yeah, I so I gave it one point higher than Chad. I gave it an 88 overall. And like Chad, I also did not give it any scores lower than an 8, um, which I think was just one. There was lots of, or no, actually two. Um, nope, three. <laughs> so there were some 8s. But there were lots of 9s. Um, <laughs> there was a 10 in there, too. I gave it 10% of photography. I thought it was outstanding in cinematography. It was, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to give acting a 10. But I give it a nine because I thought like Dano Day Lewis and uh, Paul Dano were were fantastic. But I kind of thought the rest of the cast was like kind of so so. Um, actually, kind of like Citizen Kane. So <laughs> there's <laughs> that. Um, and yeah, like and actually, I I I wouldn't be surprised if I might knock it down a couple points like far in the future if I rewatch it, or maybe I'll go back up. I don't know because I was like very back and forth about a couple of them. Like, 
plot and character development, I'm like, is this an eight or is this a nine? And I went with nine for both of those. And like, I went on the high end for a lot of my categories. So like, if I, if I change my mind, I might go down a little bit. And plus, I think there's a little bit of a recency bias in there too. Um, 88 is an extremely high score for me. And so, uh, <laughs> you're so backpedaling so hard on this 88. <laughs> well, you know, I gotta, I feel like I gotta give caveats for all my scores since, you know, it, sometimes I'm a little unconventional. You know what? You're right. I'm no more backpedaling. I'm, I'm standing, I'm standing by this 88. Um, it is number 19 on my list. Same score as Parasite. Dang. All right. I like it. I'll just jump in here because I feel like it's a good time. I also gave this film an 88. I gave it almost all nines and eights and tens, except for one seven in enjoyability. Personally, this movie, as I said earlier, was very stressful. I felt like I just didn't know what was going to happen next. Because, again, there I feel like there were things I wasn't picking up on during the film. like And the tension between Daniel and Paul was or Daniel and Eli was a lot the music was very stressful. I just been having a stressful week. So I had to watch this movie in two sittings. I, I didn't even really want to finish it. Um, that said, I still thought it was very well done on all accounts. It just it's just scored a seven for me in enjoyability. But again, 10 for acting, 10 for cinematography, 10 for soundtrack. All those things were fantastic, given the movie, not the context within which I watched it. Um, so, yeah, totally love this movie on a lot of things i will probably watch it again in a time where i'm in a better place so i can enjoy it more all right and last but not least we'll hand it over to hunter what did you rate this film i gave it any guesses uh and one as well. milkshake oh <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i interrupted you there that would have been great um yes i gave it one milkshake out of zero uh, I gave this an 88 as well. That's awesome that you <laughs> gave it an 88 too. Uh, very, very, very similar things to say. I don't want to repeat <laughs> everything that you both just said, but I also gave it a 7 in enjoyability because I, I think this movie tells a very gripping story and is a definitely a cinema masterpiece. But it's not necessarily the movie that I walk away enjoying. I think enjoyability is, at least for me, it's all it's all based on the person rating. But mm-hmm. for me, enjoyability is based on I cannot wait to watch this movie. I'm so excited, and then I'm I'm like happy throughout the movie. And while this movie is great, it's as you mentioned, it's not a very happy movie. It's not a very calming movie, and so I think it takes the enjoyability hit there. But some standouts. I gave acting a 10 because it was phenomenal. Cinematography a 10, as we touched on earlier, phenomenal. And then I gave uh, a soundtrack. I gave it a 9, and I'm, I'm thinking about bumping it to a 10 because the soundtrack and the sound design was so well, so well made and really contributed a lot to to the movie. The only other, only other films that I can think of that we watched that are kind of comparable with how much the soundtrack and the sound design really add to the film are Kill Bill. Mm. And I'm I'm trying to think of a couple others and I'm really struggling. I think Kill Bill is is really one of the one of the standouts when it comes to that. Maybe La La Land as well. I think La La Land from the musical perspective. I think those are the three the that really have the top 
that have the top tier sound design. And so uh, I, I had to give it a, a nine thinking about bringing it to a 10 because it was so well done. But overall, I give it a 88 milkshakes out of 100 possible <laughs> to drink. And I think it was absolutely fantastic. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. <laughs> yes. Also, one thing I wanted to include is we already talked about this scene, but when Daniel Plainview first meets with Standard Oil and he tells the guy that he met with, I will cut your throat in your sleep. Hearing the character that he talked to say, what What on earth? Are you, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, why on earth did you say that? Was just a very satisfying line because I feel like that that was the reaction <laughs> I just had. And most of the time in films, there's a there's a chance that the character will play that off or they'll play to that level. They'll act like that's a little normal. And they'll say, no, you won't. Or they'll get angry back. It was very cool to see that that character looked at Daniel Plainview as, what are you, crazy? This is a business setting. This is not expected that anybody would say this. I just thought that that was a very cool detail because I feel like I feel that sometimes in films, that isn't necessarily the case when you have a character that's going a little crazy is that the opposing character might play up to that or might might not may might not alienate the main character as much as that line did. So I yeah. just thought that that was just a very nice touch. Yeah, I think we definitely get to see the gambit of people that are actually normal. Then there's like, you know, the Eli's and the Daniels of this world that are just totally off the rails in their own heads. Um, super. Yeah, very good detail. And I have to agree with you on the sound design. I cannot get enough of the sound design. This movie, I feel like this movie is daniel and him just grabbing you by your jacket and just holding you there so many times throughout the movie just holding you in the scene long camera like comparing this to an action movie or a movie where i would have probably like a really high enjoyability score maybe something like i don't know i'm thinking back to the scene in minority report where there's like 20 different cuts in one one scene of them trying to capture him with the jetpacks on uh whereas in this scene when Daniel runs out the house that's on fire to go get HW and it's just one shot the entire time, him chasing him, catching him, grabbing him, wrangling him, silence, no dialogue, just the fire, the half brother trying to put it out and the camera long shot on these two interacting with each other. So gripping. So good. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for today. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, whether it's behind-the-scenes questions or movie suggestions. Would you let Daniel Day drink up your milkshake? Let us know by leaving an app, a rating on Apple Podcasts or email us at ampedaboutmovies at gmail.com, which you can find in the description of this podcast. Additionally, we've recently opened up our podcast for listener support. If you enjoy what you hear and want to make it possible for us to keep watching movies, you can pledge between $1 and $10 a month to make that happen. That said, we appreciate you all, whether you're just listening or chipping into our funds. We hope this episode has gotten you amped about There Will Be Blood, and we'll catch you next week when we discuss Million Dollar Baby. Cheers. <laughs>